Get lit. Welcome back to Get a Little Lit, the literary adjacent podcast where we talk about things that are roughly adjacent to literature and the things that we maybe couldn't fit into a full episode, but are interesting nonetheless. I'm your host, Steph Spars, joined here by my co-host, John Stricker. And this month for Get a Little Lit, thanks to our intern Jack, we have monthly Get a Little Lit episodes now. We are going to be discussing the illustrious history of, as a back to school special, the pencil. <gasps> Stephanie, I'm so excited. And I hope we also talk about the invention of the eraser on the end of the pencil as well. Do we do we get to have that little cherry on top? Yes, we get that eraser at the end. Oh, that is so exciting, Stephanie. This is going to be an excellent episode and I think there's going to be engineering involved. So, this is this is my wheelhouse. It's the cross section of literature and engineering. Indeed, there will be some technical words dropped, but don't worry for the average listener like myself that is not an engineer. I found this perfectly acceptable and accessible, so I think we'll have fun regardless. Now, I will say that this episode is very interesting, but my signature as a teacher is to write exclusively in Bic Crystal Blue Ink pens. It's been my thing for years, and I really won't touch anything else, and I certainly don't ever write in pencil. So I would love to know from our listeners are you a pencil person? Are you a pen person? Do you mix? Do you have specific uses for them? The only time I've picked up a pencil in the last couple of years is when I've had to do specific assignments for my grad program. John, are you more of a pencil or pen person? I'm more of a pen person until it comes to drafting. And if I have to draw something in pen, I might as well just not draw it at all because I will be making a mistake and it will be <laughs> scribbled out. So I need to use pencils and erasers. So Excellent. drafting, pencil, notes, pen. Okay. Good to know. And then Jack, our intern on the other side of things, hence the reason for this episode, works almost exclusively with the pencil. So I think it's good that we've got a mix on the on the podcast here. So listeners, do let us know. Maybe we'll do a poll on social media, but we would love to hear, are you more of a pen person or a pencil person? I will say, Stephanie, inside of the pencil world, I imagine there's a similar divide between mechanical pencils, and I'm going to call them acoustic pencils? What are they? Non-mechanical <laughs> pencils? What's the word? Wood? Analog? Analog pencils. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. Well, yeah. So then we'll just subdivide. This is going to be a whole poll series at this point, listeners. So when this episode goes live, go ahead and check us out on Instagram at getlit underscore podcast. And uh, we, will, we would love to solicit your opinions through there. It is a 38-question quiz about writing utensils. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. With no conclusive ending. But there is kind of a conclusive start to the use of the pencil. So we're actually going to go back to ancient Rome. And of course, at the time, the stylus was what was going to be used. It was typically a metal stick, usually lead, actually. And it was used to scratch words into papyrus. So this is obviously really laborious. Only official scribes who were literate could really ever do this. So it was a very specialized skill set that you needed not only to write with one of these styluses, but also then like process the things that you were writing. We get then brushes and different versions of the early pen that are dominating the writing scene until about 1564. 
And everything changes in Barrowdale, England. The world was never the same, Stephanie. It was not, because a very large deposit of graphite is discovered in Barrowdale, England. It was actually being used by locals to mark sheep, which I think is kind of interesting. But originally, it was misidentified as lead. And Mm. so this is why we oftentimes refer to the graphite that's actually in pencils as lead, right? Like a lead pencil. Even though it never really was lead. (laughs) It was always this. That blows my mind, Stephanie. Isn't that so interesting? Yes. Man, it never was. You know, an alternate theory is that it was what the original styluses were used out of, and maybe that's why we still say it. But even that doesn't make as much sense. So scratch that. (laughs) How about we erase it? (laughs) <laughs> okay. So people who sort of discovered this and realized its use, a lot of these sort of sticks of graphite would wind up getting wrapped in string. And then they would unwind the string as they would go through, hence like sharpening the pencil, right? So as they like wore it down, they would unwrap another layer and then you would get the new part of the, the graphite. So Italian craftsmen came up with the idea of hollowing out sticks of specifically juniper wood and then filling them with a graphite core, which I think is kind of interesting, this sort of like idea of making it more workable. And so the first mass-produced pencils come out of Nuremberg, Germany in 1662. Can you imagine how much labor it would take for a human to bore a hole so small in a piece of wood that you could actually fit the graphite inside of it? I mean, that's that's what engineers do, right? Or, or very skilled craftsmen. I also think it's kind of interesting to note that we get the advent of like the printing press before we get a common tool for the everyday person to use to write, which just sort of shows you how literacy also may have traveled, right? If you can't read or write, you know, there really isn't a point to have these writing utensils. I know, of course, there's drawing, but you also don't necessarily have access to paper. So I sort of think it's cool to see how this evolution also then ties into where the printing press came around. I mean, you still have ink wells and and like quills and stuff too. So there's other means to to write, but not anything is portable and... uh, Accessible. As the pencil. Right. So 1770, we get an English engineer... Edward Name, who creates the very first rubber eraser. And the patent for attaching the erasers to the ends of pencils doesn't wind up getting secured for another 88 years, but he comes up with the idea initially. So let's go to that patent moment. I know the moment, John, that you've been waiting for. I have. A man named Hyman Lipman, who is from Philadelphia, gets this patent on March 30th, 1858, which is now recognized and celebrated as National Pencil Day. So save the date. (laughs) March 30th, we'll have a big celebration. And it's this patent that actually also kind of makes American pencils a very specific trademark. Pencils in other countries don't often have erasers on the end of them. So it's a very American thing if you pick up a pencil and it has an eraser on because of this. And and this man, Lippman of Philadelphia, has the patent for it. And then in 1964, so jumping ahead a little bit, just because we're on the end of this, a man named J.B. Ostrowski patents the aluminum ferrule. 
And the aluminum ferrule is the little piece of metal at the end of the pencil, which I think John is very excited about. It, again, doesn't necessarily catch on internationally, but it's very important to the American pencil industry. And so this kind of, I guess, showcases the start to finish of what we now know as like the very distinctly American pencil. I want to know how they attached the eraser before the ferrule. What did they do? Just like put a nail through the eraser into the end of the pencil? Like how how did it get stayed on? Isn't it just a little dot of glue? I feel oh. like when I like was a kid and like would rip out like the eraser for any number of reasons, like it would have like a little spot of glue on it. Interesting. I have never seen an eraser attached to a pencil by any means other than the ferrule. That would be kind of a cool thing to see if there's like artifacts of this in a museum or something. Like if we could go to like the Smithsonian, I'm sure they might have like early forms of pencils or maybe even the Newberry Library. So we'll do more research and get back to you guys on that. So we're going to jump back in time now. 1795, there's actually a French chemist, which I think is very cool, Nicolas Jacques Conti, who, you know, if any of you have ever used a Conti crayon, the sort of art chalk, that's where this comes from. Cool. He pioneers a technique of making pencils that presses powdered graphite into long hollow tubes of clay. So this is kind of an alternate method of making other than that, like juniper, we're still back at the in the juniper days. And European pencil making then kind of is evolving at a very steady rate. But after the Revolutionary War, we get this kind of discrepancy between American and European pencils. So there was a war on the soil, and there's a war in the pencil factories as well. No. Yes. So low quality materials are being made domestically on the American side. And they're manufacturing these pencils that are very frail and prone to smudging and breaking. So generally just not a good product. But in 1821, a man named Charles Dunbar discovers graphite, which was then referred to as plumbago, apparently from the Latin word for lead, which again, kind of an interesting nod, right? Yeah. And that's actually the reason why on the periodic table, the lead abbreviation is PB. Really? Plumbago, yes. Not peanut butter. Shoot, That's I need to, I need to reconsider my my periodic table of elements. <laughs> Great. So he discovers this graphite in New Hampshire. And he starts a pencil factory with his brother-in-law, a man named John Thoreau, which might, you know, name might sound familiar to you, John. Ringing any bells? Uh, yeah, it is. I have a distinct desire to sit by a pond somewhere and ponder at transcendentalism. Perfect. Yeah. So Henry David Thoreau, John's son, would also have preferred to do that. But initially, and we mentioned this in our dueling episode featuring Thoreau and Emerson, that he was involved in the pencil factory, his family's pencil factory. So he found it to be incredibly dull and boring work. And as a result, he actually winds up making a lot of really great innovations because he finds it so dull. He's like, I have to do something. This has to be more interesting. So he hears that in Europe, people are making polygrade pencils, which is the process of mixing graphite and clay. And he starts to experiment with the polygrade process himself. So he makes four polygrade pencils in his experimentation, and each one has a different ratio of graphite to clay. And it's actually this innovation that is the basis for our pencil grading system today. 
all because of Henry David Thoreau being bored, having to work for his family's factory for a while. Number two was the most balanced in the equation, and so it becomes generally accepted that it's best for everyday use. If any of you use our artists or anything like that and you use pencils, you might see HB on the side with a different number, and that's the European scale, typically. And we've got a different scale, but number two becomes, you know, the number two pencil. Now I understand for every standardized test I ever took as a child, what they meant by a number two pencil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Which I think is kind of interesting. I wonder in creating those Scantron machines, if a number two pencil, if the balance was readable. You know, like, I I really don't know much about the educational technology of, like, how Scantron machines work in read. So, like, if you used a number four pencil with a different ratio of graphite to clay, would it pick up in the machine or not? I don't know. But kind of an interesting theory. Yeah, Stephanie, that's interesting. I wonder if it's the graphite content that the machines actually pick up. So they're more worried about that than, say, the clay. But I wonder. That's interesting. I bet you're also wondering why pencils are yellow. I wasn't, but I am now. Okay, great, because I'm going to tell you about it. So the practice of painting pencils yellow doesn't actually begin until the 1890s. Manufacturers wanted to signal that their pencils were made with a superior graphite, specifically graphite from China, which leaves a much bolder and smoother line compared to some graphite deposits from other parts of the world. Hmm. So yellow has historically been a color closely tied to Chinese royalty. And so a Czech manufacturer manufacturing company, Koinor, which is still one of the largest producers and distributors of art supplies, is the first to sell a yellow pencil. But these initial pencils were actually dipped in 14 karat gold. (gasps) No. Right? Yeah. So you could get a gold pencil. These gold ones specifically were about seven times the cost of a normal pencil and very, very controversial because at the time, cheap pencils were actually painted, not necessarily yellow, but it was to hide the wood grain of low quality wood. Sure. So if you were getting a pencil that was like, you know, a low quality one, it would often be painted. So the idea that they're now taking these pencils and coating them in 14 karat gold, it's like, oh, what are they hiding? But actually it was a luxury product. Do you save the pencil shavings? Yeah, to catch can you... the gold. Like <laughs> I need to know. Do you reuse those? Yeah. It's like, I'm... oh dear, I have gotten you these pencil shavings for our anniversary. They're <laughs> pure gold. I it shows you how much I don't know, you sprinkle it on top of chocolate. I don't really know what you'd do with it. Um, I don't know that you could eat that, but <laughs> Anyway, so today, about 75% of pencils that are being manufactured are yellow. And there are still three notable companies in the United States that make pencils. Two of them are actually located in Tennessee, and one of them is in New Jersey. And two of those are family-owned, which I think is kind of cool that we're the, the family pencil business. Almost all of the pencils from these companies are made out of cedar that has been certified by the Forest Stewardship Council. And the California Cedar Products Company supplies most of the wood for these pencils, which is actually a type of tree called incense cedar. Hmm. And even before they kind of jump ahead in the competition as the, you know, forefront of the pencil industry. They were the number one in sustainable reforestation practices and have since maintained and sustained a yield annual harvest of incense cedar. And this basically means that the annual growth of the forest is greater than the amount harvested. 
So that's great. You know, like your, your values there, which I thought was really fantastic. I think a lot of times when we think about the products that we're using in terms of sustainability, pens are actually really like environmentally unfriendly in a lot of regards because they're made and manufactured using petroleum and things like that, the actual ink, blah, blah, blah. So technically, I guess maybe the more environmentally friendly option, if you can keep track of them, is a pencil. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting thought. And the it's interesting that you said FSP certifies the pencils because they also certify sustainable lumber that I use when, you know, designing structures. <laughs> so it's cool that they do both pencils and like the regular, regular lumber. Another connection and overlap between pencils and engineering. Here we are. <laughs> I'm here for it, Stephanie. To kind of finish this off, we obviously have many GitLit authors that are connected to the pencil in a lot of different ways. And some of them write about their experiences of writing with pencils, which I thought was kind of cool. So some quotes from our GitLit alumni. Susan Sontag says, quote, I write with a pencil on yellow or white legal pads, that fetish of American writers. I like the slowness of writing by hand, end quote. Ernest Hemingway says, quote, writing in pencil keeps the writing fluid longer so that you can better it easier. And wearing down seven number two pencils is a good day's work, end quote. Toni Morrison writes, quote, I'm not picky, but my preference is for yellow legal pads and a nice number two pencil, end quote. William Faulkner says, quote, the writer doesn't need economic freedom. All he needs is a pencil and some paper end quote, which I think honestly is trash. But that's just me personally. Everyone needs economic freedom, sir. But that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder what that was in response to, because it's definitely sure. not a quote just about a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> and then to kind of finish off with the lore, John Steinbeck apparently used more than 60 pencils while writing each Grapes of Wrath and Cannery Row, and more than 300 pencils while writing East of Eden. So he was definitely a pencil guy. Wow. Uh, Sondheim also wrote with a, a pencil, a very specific type. What he said is he liked the softer pencils because it allowed you the opportunity to sharpen them more often, which was a break from actually writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Um, and I guess his, because I'm assuming he's writing a lot of music notes also, and yeah. you've got to push, like you've got to, like, that's a lot of dots to, to write. So he probably, you know, it may be easier to also write like the music notes with a softer pencil. That's a good point. So that I think kind of wraps up our exploration of pencils. But I think next time you look at one or go to grab one, know that there is a lot of history behind this very humble writing tool. And although, you know, I joke that I would never use a pencil because I don't like that they smear because I write so much. I do really love knowing a lot more about the history of the pencil and its connection to literature. So thank you. Beautifully researched, Jack. Excellently executed. And hopefully you can all walk away. This again is our back to school special episode. So students, if you're about to start your next year in school, we wish you all the best of luck with a pencil or pen of your choice and hope it's a great year. Teachers that are listening, best of luck to you as well. I think we're in a, in a really exciting and hopefully energizing year. And so although coming out of summer can always be a difficult transition, I think the work that you're doing is so incredibly important. And I wish you the best, easiest, and most energizing of starts. Stephanie, I think you've chosen a really good time to profile the pencil because there's no greater association in today's society with the pencil than, than school. And I think many of us have ended up abandoning the use of this instrument 
in favor of computers, quite honestly, because typing is just a much simpler and quite frankly, faster way to get words down on paper. But it deserves a place in literary history for the number of authors that use it. And I wonder if we don't lose something by allowing us to get our words onto pages easier. Like maybe if it was harder for us to record our thoughts and it was slower to write a sentence, we wouldn't have more time to consider the content rather than the quantity of the information we're getting on the paper. Very true. So maybe celebrate, take a moment to write a note to somebody that you care about in pencil or pen and send it off to them. But what that practice looks like for you in in slowing down your thoughts and your writing. But regardless, we hope it's a wonderful week for all of you, a wonderful weekend, depending on when you're listening to this. But until we see and hear from you next, thank you so much, as always, for keeping it a little lit. If you want to be